You're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. One of the reasons in my choosing to read this passage earlier, as you will note, it's quite long, isn't it? Um, it was, um, it was uh, a challenge to get through that this week, 67 verses. Um, and being it was so long, I, as I, it really one of the first things I want to do really is to get into the narrative, and we're going to be revisiting the narrative. So I thought rather than reading this uh, lengthy passage just before the sermon and then uh, going through it the way I intend to go through it, I thought it might be a little bit monotonous. So I chose to read it earlier uh, in the service. Hopefully that will uh, function well for us. But last week, uh, you know, it, it, and I knew it was going to happen, last week it kind of sounded like a funeral in here as we were looking at, some of you heard last week's message, you were smiling. I, I knew it was going to sound like that. And in different times as I was preaching last week, I, I, I kind of caught myself kind of feeling like I was doing a funeral and not a and not a uh, gospel presentation, but a funeral. When I do funerals, I do a presentation of the gospel. So, But um, last week was like a funeral. Well, this week's like a wedding. Uh, so here we have a funeral and wedding right beside each other. Now, I don't know what to say about that, but uh, um, I, won't, I guess I won't say anything about that. I'll just keep going. <laughs> but our text begins with these words. Now, Abraham was old well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And really, I, I think the first point that we would want to make, you know, that, that Sarah's passing, that Sarah's death as part of this context is made abundantly clear because the very last verse, verse 67 of this text, speaks of Sarah's death. We have Sarah's death before the text. We have Sarah's death at the end of the text. And really, I, I think I can make a point of application right now before we even begin. Nothing reminds us of our own mortality like the death of a loved one. You know, it really, I mean, life, we, we think we have tomorrow. I mean, we have plans tomorrow to get up and go about what it is that we get up and go about on Monday mornings. And that's good. We want those plans. The, the presumption is that we are going to be alive and well to carry out those plans. But when death intrudes into our lives, we suddenly discover that tomorrow is not necessarily guaranteed in this pilgrimage. And here we see Abraham. He's old. He's well advanced in years. Sarah has just passed. And I think that sets us up for verse 2. He says to his servant, who is the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, he says to him, swear to me, make this promise. That's the point of put your hand under my thigh. Uh, make this promise. Uh, swear by the Lord, verse 3, swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. Now, the more I have studied Genesis 24, the more I, I've just been almost overwhelmed by this servant who is, uh, he, he's unnamed in the text. 
And as I speak this way, I, and I'm going to say a lot about this servant, I want to say right from the start, so I don't lead anyone afoul here, uh, I'm much more amazed by what God's doing in this text than I am by what the servant is doing. But what we see the servant doing is actually the very, the fingerprints of God are all over this servant. All over this servant. And what do we see? The, the, here we see that there's something truly, absolutely amazing going on already in verses 2, 3, and 4. Here, we don't know who this servant is. He is unnamed, which I think is remarkable. It could have easily been named. It's been, uh, it's been conjectured or speculated that it's Eliezer of Damascus, but we don't know that. That's a very good possibility. It's Eliezer of Damascus, but again, we can't say for sure. But we are told that he's the oldest of the household, the oldest servant of the household. We're told that he had charge of all that Abraham had. And what I find really amazing about this is he is even put in charge of taking a wife for Isaac. That's absolutely amazing. And that begins to really illustrate a dynamic that's at place here in Abraham's household that is rare indeed. Because at the end, in the last scene of this chapter, when uh, the servant is returning back to his to Abraham, and he sees Isaac in the field, this servant who currently is in charge of everything refers to Isaac as his master. Now, what's truly amazing about this is the humility that's present here. And what do I mean by humility? Well, humility is seeing yourself for who and what you are. It, it, humility isn't putting yourself down. Humility is understanding what place you've been put in and functioning in that place. These roles are about to switch. The servant has charge of everything. The servant is in charge of taking a wife for Isaac. Isaac, in one sense right now, is subordinate to this servant. Yet the servant refers to Isaac as his master. And here Isaac is subservient to the servant. Everybody knows their place. They're waiting for God to do the reversal. They're waiting for God to pass the torch. They're waiting for God to advance the kingdom, which is really, if we want to put Genesis 24, if we, and I like to, when I'm taking a text this large, I always kind of like to give you one word when I can that would kind of like, like the one word I think that really speaks to this chapter. The word I keep coming up with is the word advancement. What is God doing? He's advancing His kingdom. I think all of the details of this text point to that very thing. God is advancing His kingdom. And what we see so amazing by this servant, and we're going to see this over and over again, is here this servant is currently in charge of everything. But he refers to Isaac as his master, realizing that soon I am going to have to decrease and he is going to have to increase. But in the interim, we don't see Isaac trying to usurp anything that doesn't belong to him. Truly amazing. God's fingerprints are all over this. This is humanly impossible. God's hands are all over this. Now, what does Abraham say? What is Abraham up to? Well, Abraham says to his servant, listen, I want you to promise me that you will not take for Isaac one of the daughters of the Canaanites. In verse 4, he says, go to my country and to my kindred 
and take a wife for my son Isaac. Now, let's pause for a minute and let's see if we can put ourselves in the servant's place. Again, I'm going to go back to the servant, but in going back to the servant, I, I want it, the, 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 the Lord is behind this. But think about the, the task that he's given. We have a remarkable servant here who's really given an, a, mar, a remarkable assignment. To put it in perspective, imagine, imagine, you, you know, imagine someone very important to you saying, listen, I want you to promise me something. I want you to go up to Nova Scotia to where I was born to my, to my, my, my kindred in my father's house. And I want you to, I want you to find a wife and, uh, for, my, for my son and bring her back here that she might, that she might marry my son. Okay, I'm just going to stroll into Nova Scotia and say, oh, you know, my master sent me and, uh, um, you know, I'm looking for a wife for my son. And ladies, you tell me, before you sign up for marrying this guy, would you like to at least see him? <laughs> really? I mean, you guys, I, I think the answer is unanimous. Guys, I mean, I could say the same thing. I mean, what do you think? Uh, wouldn't you like to at least see them? Um, well, what would you be thinking if you're the servant? Well, verse 5 is what you would be thinking. What's the servant say to Abraham? Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me. <laughs> Do you suppose that's a possibility? I think that's a high possibility. Um, I think it's a high possibility. And, and really, he's reasonable. He's like, okay, suppose, you know, suppose she's not going to come with me. She's not going to be willing to come with me. Can I take Isaac up to meet her? That's what he says. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? And, and, and Abraham's very strict on this. He says, see to it that you do not take my son back there. And then in verse 7, in verse 7, I think we have the whole point of this text. I think the key verse of this text is right here in verse 7. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my... This is, this is Abraham's response to the servant. He says, the Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I'll give this land, he will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. I think that's the point. And you'll notice from the Scripture memory verse, verse 40 sounds a lot like that, doesn't it? It's because it's repeated. We could have used verse 7. I was thinking about using verse 7, but for liturgical purposes, verse 40 would be, verse 40 would be better. But you can, you, could, you can use either. Verse 7 or verse 40. I think that's the point of this text. The Lord is going to go before him and he's going to make this remarkable assignment possible. And that's what we see taking place here. And then verse 8, Abraham says, listen, if the woman, if she's unwilling to follow you, then you're going to be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. And in verse 9, the servant agrees to this. This really, we have a remarkable servant uh, given a really, truly remarkable uh, assignment. And then in verse 10, the servant wastes no time. We're told that he takes 10 of his master's camels and he takes all sorts of choice gifts from his master, which would have been appropriate in the time, in ancient times. And uh, so he makes all these preparations and he sets out to the city of Nahor, uh, a long and uh, and somewhat dangerous journey to be carrying all these costly ornaments, costly goods, uh, to be carrying all this stuff uh, on a journey like that. It's a long and it's a dangerous journey. And in verse 11, he has, he has reached the outskirts of the town 
And I, I, I just can't help but to giggle and laugh a little bit about verse 11. You might say, well, what's so funny about verse 11? Well, let's think about the assignment that this, that this servant has. He, he's got to figure out a way to meet women, doesn't he? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, okay, we're going to Nova Scotia. Now we're going to have to meet some ladies. <laughs> so it's, it's actually quite ingenious what he does. He, he, he sets up at the city well uh, and waits because in the custom of the day, that's when the ladies come out to get the water. So where are all the ladies going to be? That's where he goes, you know. And I, I think that's, I'm sorry, I just think this is, I think it's, God has a wonderful sense of humor. He really does. We're going to laugh in heaven, man. We're going to laugh because God's going to be really funny. Uh, this is really funny. And I, so here he is. He's made all his provisions. He's made the journey. He's hanging out at the well. And notice what he does. In, this is so instructive in verse 12. Notice what he does. What's he do in verse 12? He prays. And I, I think this is remarkable. And I also think it's remarkable how he prays. Notice what he says. He says, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Why does he want to be successful? He loves, he loves Abraham. He loves Abraham. And he says in verse 13, I'm standing by the spring of water and the daughters of men of the city are coming out to draw water. And... He says, let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Now, notice how specific his prayer is. What's he, what's he looking for? He's looking for a sign. And he has to have a sign. Because, you know, it's not like the woman he's looking for. It's not going to be like the airport when you're picking up somebody that you don't know and you stand there with a sign. It's not like she's going to be at the well with a sign. Hey, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm Isaac's bride. She's not going to come out with a t-shirt on. It says, you know, I am, I'm bride of Isaac, you know, choose me. How in the world is he going to find her is the, is the thing. How's he going to find her? And I, I, again, think this through for a moment. The remarkable servant with a remarkable task. He's told at the onset that the Lord is going to prosper him. Yet that doesn't stop him from making all of the provisions, and that doesn't stop him from praying. You know, over, over the years, I've had people say to me, they've said, listen, why do you spend so much time preparing for your sermons? Wouldn't the Holy Spirit just give you the words to speak? And my answer is, yeah, the Holy Spirit. Like right now, I'm counting on the Holy Spirit to give me the words to speak. I'm trusting in Him to do that. But we still have to make preparation. You know, just wait until Sunday to come and come up here and just, that would just be a bunch of jibber-jabber uh, to, to even suggest such a thing. Yes, if, if anything successful, if, if there's any success with this sermon this morning, it's going to be the Lord's success. It's not going to be my success. It's going to be the Lord's success. But that having been said, I still got to get 10 camels ready. I got to get the gifts ready. I got to get all of this stuff ready. And that having been said, it's not enough simply to get everything ready. We need to call on the Lord to make this prosperous. You see, the servant has this all going on, doesn't he? He is doing his part, trusting in the Lord, 
They're counting on the Lord to make this successful. See, the more I study this, this, this is such a this is such a great chapter for the work of ministry. Because in it, we see how God advances His kingdom. Again, I suggest to you that all of the details of this text point to the advancement of God's kingdom. Now, he has said, listen, Lord, uh, let, the, let the young woman who is appointed for your servant Isaac, let her be the one who says, I, you know, drink and I will provide water for your camels. Let her be that one. And in verse 15, we're told that before, before the servant had even finished praying, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, that's Abraham's folks, before he's even finished speaking, she comes out with uh, her water jar on her shoulder. Now, the reader knows this at this point, but the servant doesn't know this at this point. And in verse 16, we're told that the woman was very attractive in appearance. And again, I, I want to point to the to the really the wisdom of this servant. You know, how does man typically typically how does how does man make these kind of choices? They look at appearance. Appearance is everything. Not just men, women too. You know, I was thinking earlier this morning. I was thinking, you know. A young man coming out of seminary looking for a church, if he's a good-looking guy, you know, built just the right way, he's got a better chance of getting a church than your average-looking guy coming out of seminary. I promise you that's the case. Why? Because the world chooses with the eyes. The world chooses with the eyes. That's not, oftentimes, that's not a good choice. I was giving counsel to a friend of mine yesterday. Listen, don't choose with the eyes. She happens to be very attractive. Now, that's a nice little plus here. But um, this servant is wise. Notice the way he has prayed. Let the one who is appointed for uh, my master Isaac, let her be the one who offers the water of the camels. Why is that so important? Scholars tell us, I don't know a lot about camels. I never had a camel. I've never ridden a camel. I've seen camels at the Pittsburgh Zoo. Uh, that's the extent of my experience with camels. I saw them once on the Mutual of Omaha. Some of you will know what that was. Uh, I used to like that show. That was a cool show. They had camels on one of the episodes. Uh, they tell us that a camel, after a long journey, drinks something to the tune of 25 gallons of water. That's a thirsty animal. Do you realize how much water 25 gallons of water is? Some of you probably have. Some of you probably have a 50-gallon hot water tank in your basement. Some of you may have one that's smaller than that. So you got enough water and you you have enough water in your hot water tank to, to feed two of these camels. And Rebecca has a little jar on her shoulder. And she doesn't hesitate. Seeing a need doesn't hesitate. It's not asked. She doesn't hesitate to water all 10 of those camels. Now, that's character. She is demonstrating just... And as you see, that's the design of the servant. You see how wise the servant is? And again, that takes you back to God. Where's wisdom come from? 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Where's the fear of the Lord come? It comes from faith. Where's faith come from? It comes from the Lord. Here we see the fingerprints of God all over this, don't we? It takes us right back to God. This is how the household of God operates and functions when it's operating and functioning correctly. It's just truly amazing. He wants to see her character. Oh, yeah, she looks nice on the outside, but we're not going to be making any choices by these appearances. So here she comes, this young woman. uh, In verse 17, the servant runs to meet her, and he says, please give me a little water to drink from your jar. And in verse 18, she says, drink, my Lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels until they have finished drinking. Now, if there's a a goosebump moment in this text, it's right now. He had just got done praying this way, and she said the very words that he asked the Lord to have her say. And we're told in verse 7 that she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran again to draw well, to draw water for all the camels. And we're told in verse 21 that the man gazed at her in silence. I think we would all be silent, like, wow, is this really happening? Is this really, really happening? And, and that really is the case, isn't it? Whenever you come upon something, you come upon a circumstance, and you look at the circumstance, and, and you can say nothing else other than, God has done this. God has done this. Some of us have had conversations like that about things God has done here. God has done this. We can't say anything else but this. We can't say that Rick did this. We can't say that Donald did this. We can't say that anyone else did this. God has done this. And that's a moment of silence, and it's a moment of awe, isn't it? And that's where we are at this point. And in verse 22, the camels had finished drinking. The man takes a gold ring weighing a half a shekel, two bracelets for her arms weighing ten gold, uh, weighing ten gold shekels. And he said, please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? And she said, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. And now, at this point, at this point, imagine what the servant's experiencing. Wow, she is from Abraham's house. This thing is happening. I imagine every, about every minute of that whole long journey, this servant is saying, how is this going to go down? And what a relief this is going to be when this is accomplished. And here this is happening. The man He responds in verse 26, just as you would expect. He bowed his head and he worshiped the Lord, didn't he? He worshiped the Lord. He said in verse 27, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kingdom. See that word, led? The Lord has led. The Lord is advancing his kingdom. This is how the Lord works. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about all these. Well, she has a lot to report to her household, doesn't she? And then Laban is introduced, her brother. And he runs out towards the man. And in verse 30, he sees the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms. He hears the report that Rebecca, his sister, has to give. And um, uh, he says to the servant, O blessed of the Lord, why do you stand outside? I've prepared the house, a place for the camels. So the man came to the house and unharnessed the camels, gave straw and fodder to the camels, and 
There was water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him, and then food was set before him to eat. But notice what the servant does. I'm sure he was hungry, but his mind is not on food. He says, I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. See how singular his, his mind is fixed? Boy, do I aspire to be like this. I really do. I mean, as I would, the more I study Genesis 24, you know, I think I'm going to keep studying Genesis 24 when we get to Genesis 25, because uh, I like Genesis 24. I've never preached on Genesis 24, but the more, I've, the more I study this, we see all these lessons from the servant. I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. And of course, Laban says, speak on. Verse 34, he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master. Notice that he's given all the glory to the Lord. He has greatly blessed Abraham. He has caused him to become great. He has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male servants, female servants, camels, donkeys, and Sarah. Even, his, even my master's wife in her old age has bore him a son. And, and Abram has given him all that he has. And again, this points back to the, the, just to the integrity of the servant. The servant's in charge of everything. Isaac's, Isaac's currently subordinate to him, but he recognizes it's all Isaac's. And here's the thing. He wants it to be that way. Isn't that amazing? He wants it to be that way. Why does he want it to be that way? Because God wants it to be that way. This is true humility. You just don't see this. You just don't see this. Verse 37, my master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife from my son, from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell, but you shall go to my father's house and to my clan and take a wife from my son. I said to my master, Perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said to me, The Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you and prosper your way. You shall take a wife from my son, from my clan, and from my father's house. Then you'll be free from my oath when you come to my clan. And if they will not give her to you, you'll be free from my oath. And he proceeds to tell Rebecca's family what happened. He said, I come to this, verse 42, I come to the spring. I prayed, Lord, uh, you know, if you're going to prosper in my way, behold, here I am, verse 43, by the spring of water. Let the virgin who comes out to draw water to him, I shall say, please give me a little water from your jar to drink. And who will say to me, drink, and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. And before I had finished speaking, in my heart, behold, Rebekah came out with her water jar on her shoulder, and she went down to the spring, drew water. And I said to her, please, let me drink. And she quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, drink, and I will give your camels drink also. So I drank, and she gave the camels drink also. Then I asked her, whose daughter are you? And she said, the daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her arms. Then I bowed my head and worshiped the Lord and and blessed the Lord and the God of my master Abraham, who had led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. Now then, if you're going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me, and if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. He basically repeats everything for the benefit of layman. This is what has happened. Very clearly, this is a thing that only the Lord could have done. And notice, notice Laban and Bethuel, Rebekah's father, enters into the picture in verse 50. And they answer him, saying, this thing has come from the Lord. This has truly come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you good or bad. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her. Go. Let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. And when Abraham's servant heard 
their words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord. I bet he did, didn't he? I bet he did. A remarkable servant on a remarkable assignment, seeing it fulfilled in a way that only God could fulfill this. The servant brought out the jewelry of silver and of gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah, and he also gave to her brother, to her mother, costly ornaments. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank, and they spent the night there. Then they rose in the morning, and he said, send me away to my master. And verse 55 is important. Her brother and her mother said, let the young woman remain with us a while, at least 10 days after that she may go. But verse 56 The servant said to them, Do not delay me since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. Now, we would think about this for a minute. Ten days. I mean, this time yesterday, Rebecca didn't have any idea she was going to be departing from her family forever. I mean, this thing happens really quickly. And they're saying, Listen, let's give us ten days just to kind of adjust here and let us say our goodbyes and let us make preparations and everything. But the servant, the servant says, no, don't, do not delay. There's an important spiritual principle here. They say, well, let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebecca and they said to her, will you go with this man? Notice what she says. She says, I will go. Now think about that for a moment. What is she agreeing to do? She's agreeing to depart from her father's house and her kindred and everything that she knows. Kind of sounds like Abraham's call, doesn't it? And furthermore, she's agreeing to marry a man she has never even laid eyes upon. If this is not a remarkable, if this is not a remarkable testimony of faith, then what is? What is leading her to do this? This is of the Lord. If this is what the Lord wants me to do, this is what I'm going to go do. It's stunning that she is willing to do this. So they sent Rebecca and their sister and her nurse and Abraham's servant and his men. They send them on their way. And we're told that Rebecca and her young women arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Then verses 62 through 67, we really have a we really have a remarkable scene. I mean, in verse 62, Isaac, Isaac had returned from Beher Lahairoi and was dwelling in the Negev, as in the desert. And verse 63, Isaac goes out to meditate in the field toward evening, and he lifts up his eyes and he saw, behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, Is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And this servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. And then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife. And he loved her. God knew what he was doing. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Few points in regards to all of this. Um, again, I would submit to you that all the details of this really point to, I mean, they 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 really point to the advancement of of God's kingdom. God's working. He's working providentially, isn't he? I mean, think about all the ways that he's working providentially here. I mean, he's he's raised up this servant, 
who would walk in this way. He has sent the servant on this long journey. He has worked out the timing that this servant would be at the well at the right time. He's worked out the timing in Rebecca's life that she would be right there at the right time. He has worked it out so that the servant would pray a certain way, that Rebecca would speak a certain way. He has worked and moved in the hearts of Rebecca's family that they would be cooperative. He has given the gift of faith to Rebecca that she would go. No, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? How has God worked in our lives? It's a snapshot of how God does things. Think of the people who came into your life and shared the gospel with you. And how did they come into your life? This providentially ordered into your life. You were born at a certain time. You have a certain circle of friends, or maybe you have a certain employer. Uh, however it works, it's just all different for every one of us, but there's some things that are the same. And that is a, f- a servant who was faithful came to you and shared the gospel with you and shared the good news with you. But long before the servant came and shared the good news with you, the Lord was ahead of him seeing that the journey was prosperous and that the kingdom would be advanced. Isn't that amazing? We have an emblem here, an illustration. I think it's more of an illustration, an illustration of how God advances His kingdom. Because really, I mean, to, to take a text like this and say, okay, what we have here is a text that shows us how to find a bride. Uh, here is a, this morning's sermon is five ways to find the right bride. That is to so miss the point of this text. Are, are there, I mean, if we're going to do that, then one of the ways is you don't get to see him before you marry him. Think that's good? I don't think all of this is pre- prescriptive. I think much of this is descriptive. You know what I mean by that? It's not a prescription for how we should be doing this. It's a description of how God did this. I don't think there's anything wrong with at least setting your eyes upon your future husband before you agree to marry him, and vice versa. Um, we've all, Tammy and I spent, I mean, we've all spent time getting to know each other before we said, I do, did we not? But that having been said, there are, there are, many, there are many points here that we can learn about finding a bride, but that's not the point of this text. The point of this text is Abraham's pilgrimage is really, his, his course is pretty much running to its end in terms of his earthly pilgrimage. Sarah's already run her course. The baton has to be passed to the next generation. In order for God to make all of these promises come to fruition, Isaac has to have a bride. They have to be fruitful. They have to multiply. And one day, the son with a capital S will come uh, really from Rebecca really is being brought into the genealogical line of Jesus. So as we think about a remarkable servant with a remarkable assignment, our thoughts ought to run down the line to another remarkable servant who is much more remarkable than the son named servant, who has a remarkable assignment that is much more remarkable than the assignment that this servant has in our text in Genesis 24, and that would be Jesus. Jesus is a remarkable servant who has a remarkable assignment. And what is Jesus' assignment? To live that perfect life? 
to live that perfect life, to offer that life at the altars of his justice in order to make salvation possible for all of us, to merit a salvation that we can all enjoy, to be raised on the third day, ascend, ascend into heaven at the right hand of God the Father Almighty to send the Holy Spirit out to do what? To do what we see the servant doing, gathering a bride for the Son. That's the point. I think that's the point of Genesis 24. It's just a marvelous. It's a wedding. Genesis 23 is death. Genesis 24 is life. Life after Heavenly Father, we so thank you and praise you for this great chapter that you've given us, this lengthy chapter, Father, that really takes time to get through. It takes just an enormous amount of study to, to get. But Father, you so reward us as we roll our sleeves up and as we labor, Father, you so reward us, just as the servant had to labor and prepare 10 camels and ornaments and gold and silver and make that dangerous journey. Oh, Father, we look to you, O oh Lord, that you would apply these things to our hearts and our lives. Just as the servant prayed to you, make, the, make this prosperous. Oh, Father, make this prosperous for us. Apply this as we see this work, O oh Father, as we see the work of how you advance your kingdom, Father. May, may we expect you to work and may we watch you work this way and not, a, as we, not only in our own hearts but in the hearts of our loved ones as we pray for our unsaved friends and loved ones. O oh Father, send forth, send forth the Holy Spirit before us. Send forth the Holy Spirit before those faithful servants who would share the gospel to our loved ones. Make it prosperous, O oh Father. And advance your kingdom, O Lord. Advance your kingdom. Father, we thank you that you've given us such a wonderful illustration of how you work, working providentially, giving the gift of faith, aligning everything the way it's supposed to go. Father, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.